Well, bless the Lord. It's good to be with you. Good to be back. This year, uh, before we get into the Word, this year marks, believe it or not, I, uh, this year will be the sixth year I've been coming up here. And so I, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, it has been a, it's always been a joy, always been, I have the pictures to prove it too, you know, so we've, uh, but it's always been a joy of my heart to be here and be here with you. Um, I, I, before I start the, this morning's message, I think, and based also on what Kurt has just said, which to me has also been a, a, an, a, an exemplary, uh, I, I mean, my words are going to start getting messed up, but he's been such a blessing to know because he's true I, in this process we've been able to get to know each other and uh, one of the things if I can say and be so bold to tell you is you think you know how to celebrate there's believe me there's a time coming that you're going to learn how to really party amen yeah, yeah. and so I've been watching from afar and I think that there are things that you ought to be celebrating and you, you, you do your best, but I'm just telling you, it's only the tip of the iceberg. And so I want to let you know as the church, for the last eight or nine months, the, the church had asked me to come alongside the leadership, the direction team, the elders, Rick, had asked me to come alongside and uh, just look through the process and the church because their desire, I think this is important for you to hear, their desire was to say, look, we don't want to just keep on the tepid level of what God is doing, but we also want to know, we want to make sure we're not closing the door and we want to not keep hitting a certain ceiling, not just in our numerical growth, but also in our growth, which is an admirable thing. And I think for the most part, the average, the average saint that goes to a local church usually has, and this is no insult, it's just because everybody is kind of pretty myopic thinking about what's going on around their lives that a lot of times we take for granted the people that are not called volunteer because we use that title way too too loosely when you have ownership of the house when you own, have ownership because you have stake in the game and you have put blood and service and giving and sacrifice you're surrounded by people who are doing that and their only blessing is to see the actual growth in people's hearts and also see the house of God be built up. That's, that's how the average, and I say average in terms of the, the, not, the, the, the normal church is supposed to grow. It's, it's built and taken care of their house. In my house, we taught our children when they were very young that the garbage didn't walk out by itself into the garbage can. Amen? And so... We, in other words, once they became of age, they started to participate in the house. They didn't just occupy space for free because they didn't pay any rent. Amen. And so our, our level of understanding, especially in the Western world, in, in the world that we live in, is that a lot of times we're, we're a little bit unconscious of the, the people that are around us. Not the people we see all the time, but the people that do undergird, build the house and hold it together. And so I came alongside, which, which has been to somewhat of a degree, uh, a little bit of a secret, not a secret on purpose, but certainly not celebrated enough in the, the passion of the leaders to say, God, what's next? And in the middle of that search mode of working with your teams, meaning multiple hours, because then the pandemic hit, and so we were doing virtual meetings. There was one week there that I logged in, and I, I keep track of every meeting, I logged in in just, in just a week's time. There was uh, uh, 
probably 38 hours of just meetings, phone calls and visual meetings. These are, these are the people that you have around you. They have lives. They have families. They have, uh, thanks, bro. Appreciate you. Uh, they, have, they have other things, but underneath, behind the scenes, in light of all the other stuff that was going on, they were laboring behind you. These elders have been meeting, even consistently, even when I came back a, a few months ago, we had seven days of nonstop meetings with staff leaders, with all, all these folks that are working behind the scenes, elders, their wives, the staff department heads, all of these things, people that were ministering, times that I had meetings with Rick and, and the last time I was here with Rick and Sandy. And in the middle of that discovery, in the middle of all that time, I'm giving you a kind of a, for the younger generation, the Reader's Digest, you probably don't know what that is, but it's the short version. Let me translate. Go back into your glossary. It's not in the New Dictionary. So it's a shorter version of the narrative, the story that's been going on in the background in Praise Fellowship, the finance team. And what I discovered working with all your people is that you have incredible incredible people that are sacrificing tons of hours and time that have not just capacity, they're, in fact, they're leveled off only because they're only stunted because the systems and the and development and the heart and all of that stuff, really they have, God has put in them an, an amazing capacity not only to lead, but also to have the heart and the mind of the Lord as to what he's going to do in this next season. Pandemic, pandemic. In the middle of that, while the enemy was raging fire, while the people were all divided, the church was still on the move. They were still building. They were still working because that was the time for us not to be silent, not to be quiet, but to keep pressing in because we couldn't cower into our caves. That's the leadership that you have. And so what I'm here to tell you is that in the middle of that, we discovered there's, for those of you that don't know, time is defined in a variety of ways. There's Kairos and then there's Kronos. Kronos is your normal time, but Kairos is that special moment. I'm just giving you a highlight where you discover there is a time and a season that you must move, you must do it because God, it's, you can't just simply say, yeah, I'll do that later. Amen? I'll do that later. Sometimes the later passes you by. And so even though none of it was a surprise, in that process, we discovered, listen to me, ISA is moving. Rick has to need, he needs to consider and, and consider the time. It wasn't like that was a revelation, meaning, oh, my God, he got woke up in the middle of the night and he figured it out. Rick was very astute and he knew God had been speaking this for several years because I had these conversations with him way before. And then all of a sudden we discovered this was the season. And so that brought up a ton of level of of legitimate insecurity among all the team trying to figure out what's like what's next like how do we do this how do we process and then that's when the Cuban from South Florida comes along and we're working this process out and the reason I tell you that is it's it's very normal especially in the climate that in which we live in in this church in this season I should say in the world as well is that we, are, we, are, we don't want to admit, but we're more, govern, we're more governed by the whispers and the voices of the outside than we are by the voice of the Lord. And we need to change that, meaning that we are susceptible. It's good to know that, right? We need to know, like we get bombarded by news. Dear Lord, I have to shut it off too because it starts to work on your soul. Yeah. And, and so what I'm here to tell you is no matter what the level of insecurity, the state of praise fellowship is 
high. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? Now, you may not know me. I'm not a liar, though. And I don't speak Greek, so I'm going to tell you to in English. Amen? In other words, your leaders have been working behind the scenes, and I just feel like they've done themselves a disservice because they haven't told you this. They haven't, even the last time I was here, it wasn't really exposed. And I'm here to tell you, they've been working. I've worked, the other, the other Saturday morning we met with the finance team. These guys have been, these guys have jobs. They have, they have tons of work to do. They are, they are all working behind the scenes to, to not just do a, a task, but to see what God's hand is going to do for you. And you're going to be, you're going to be in the glow of that thing and even the afterglow of that moment. Are you with me? And so I'm here to tell you, stop worrying about the past and start examining and preparing yourself for the future. And it might get uncomfortable for you because space is going to get tight, meaning the Lord is going to invade your space and he's going to ask you to kind of stretch a little bit and not be so comfortable in the same clothes you've always been wearing. Does that make sense? And so what I want to tell you is stop worrying about how is the conventional way going to do it. The church is led by elders, and your elders are great elders. Amen? Yes. That's a cue for a clap. You have a great team of people that are working behind the scenes, people that are, that are managing the finances, people that are, these, these guys are off the, I mean, they're, they're just off the chain. Now, here's what I want to tell you. There's a scene, we were laughing, I don't know which meeting I was in yesterday, but we were talking about the movie Braveheart, and there's, there's a scene where William Wallace is come in and he's made his voice, they've tried to honor him, the Scottish lords have tried to honor him because they realize this dude is crazy and he's, he's winning battles, and so now they're going to make him a lord and he looks like he's uncomfortable with this, and then they start arguing about their titles in the middle of this in the middle of this impending battle because he warns them and said if you think if you think England is going to stay put and they've learned the lesson I'm here to assure you we need to get ready because now we just have to keep on fighting which is not what they wanted to hear they wanted to talk about the lords wanted to talk about what estates they had and who clan was going to rule all this stuff and he just grows he grows weary with the whole scene, walks out of the, out of the place, and then uh, Robert de Bruce follows him outside. It's a really pivotal scene. Most people might ignore it, but I'm a loyal, I'm a loyal guy. That's my high value. And in the middle of their exchange, he tells, he tells Robert de Bruce, if you will just, if, if, you need to lead. If you will just lead, they will follow. He says, where are you going, William? Where are you going? He goes, we've we got to fight. we got to have a fight out there. He goes, well, wait, we can do that. He says, no, 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 no. We don't have time to wait. You need to fight. And he looks at him. And in a, the most pivotal scene, they did it so well. He looks at Robert to Bruce. He says, if you will just lead, they will follow. And then he adds the kicker. If you will just lead, I will follow. And the dude... Robert de Bruce goes like, he was shocked. Go back and watch the movie. It'll, it'll blow your mind. I get chills. Because he comes to the realization that not everybody is just in the game to just lead. 
They're not in the game for their own accolades and their own new gowns or their own chains and things they're going to wear around their neck. Sometimes every now and then you come across a couple of William Wallace's in your life and what they want is they got, the, they got plans, they got things they can do. They just, if you're going to exist leadership, then you just need to follow. So my challenge to you this morning is, as a church, and for those of you that are watching online, is stop relying on what happened yesterday. Yesterday set you up for today. Yesterday is not a failure. Yesterday set you up for today. The church is in good place. I'm, I assure you of that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And trust me, it, I know it's snowing outside, but I'm going back to the sun in a, couple, in a couple of days. I am here to tell you these elders, their families, these, these, you, have, you have the cream of the crop. So here's what I want to tell you. Here's my William Wallace moment for you. I wish I could be like William Wallace. Um, what I'm telling you is if I would hear, I'd follow them. You should do it. Amen? There's a mission movement that's growing. You had a part in that. You have a place in that. Rick needs to do what God called him to do. You need to move on. Praise Fellowship still has territory to conquer, has places to go, and you've got a good team. They know what to do. They have, they have your interest at heart. They have the church's, uh, the church's demeanor at heart, but they have the will of God at heart as well. And when God places a new set leader amongst that team of elders, it'll be a team of elders because that's a biblical principle, by the way. This is not a new idea, not a new concept. Read your Bible. Amen? Are you hearing me? If I were here, I'd come here. Does that help you? And I ain't no cowboy. I'm a city boy. <laughs> Trust in the process. Trust in the plan. There are things God wants to do. I knew it from the first day I walked into this place, and it's not dependent on one person. It's dependent on all of us. And I want to be a part of that. So, so Kurt, let me just say thank you for that uh, introduction, my friend, because you have been a joy. When I, when I met him, first time virtually and met my, my admonition, I knew, I thought to myself, if any of these people, some of the people I knew, all of these leaders, I'm thinking to myself, you might have thought you landed here by accident, you didn't land here by accident. Come on home, let's do it. Let's do this work, amen? You with me? Now you can clap for them. They're worthy. But they've been working, they've been working hours, hours. Just this weekend alone, I came in, we've been meeting nonstop. And so you can't minimize that. So if you take a shot at them, you got William Wallace, you got my sword coming at you, man. Amen? Because I'm telling you, they've worked hard. I appreciate all of the team members that make up this, this whole process. They've been, they've been laboring. And that's not just our meetings. It's what they're doing behind the scenes, all the work that they're doing, all the prayer, all the meetings they're carrying on on their own. Listen to me. We can't grow selfish in this time. I want to talk to you this morning about guidance in the storm. We are in the middle of a storm, are we not? And when you're in a storm, the thing you need the most is be able to see. Now, I always tell young people, I have, I, sometimes I have the, the greatest uh, privilege of being able to speak a lot of young people. Um, 
And so, I'm, and I'm talking young, anything is younger than me is young, amen? So when I talk to young people, I always tell them, you know, we spend most of our time dolling this thing up. We think we're going to look, and I said, this is what is expected of you. This is what you're going to look like, amen? As good looking, as pretty as you think you are now, you're going to get here. Why? Because time always comes and we can't control it. Amen? Now up here, up here and in here, I feel like, man, I can go to battle. But my body, my body, when I wake up, all of it needs like several different commands to get everything moving in the same direction. Amen? We, <laughs> we need guidance in the storm. And the reason I said that about age is that I've noticed that, which is very frustrating, most of us, it, it's not just about age, it's about your own, your own physical temple. It's like when, I, when I'm driving, particularly at night, there are certain things that start to become a little more difficult. And so the adjustment starts to happen. You sit a little closer, you pay a, little, a lot more attention, and the things that you used to take for granted, time does that. What happens to us is that time also has another factor that it could make us numb we can almost got, kind of get uh, lackadaisical about what are the things that we're supposed to be diligent of. And so we, we kind of think that it's always going to stay the same, and it doesn't. There's things that are changing around us, and so we have to adapt. When you're in a storm, in the natural as well as in the spiritual, when you're in a storm, you have to adapt. Your senses have to become a little bit more acute. They, you have to be a little bit more alert. And you can't be distracted with the things that distracted you 20 minutes before. Yeah. You with me so far? Yeah. So there's a, there's a scripture in Matthew 10, 16. I want to give you, I know some of you like to take notes, so hopefully I think I, think I have five things. Five things I'm going to give you this morning about guidance in the storm, something that you need to adapt. This is a word for the church in season, not just for praise fellowship. So in Matthew 10, 16, it says, Behold, he tells his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wary as serpents, so be as wary as serpents and as innocent as doves. So here's, here's the first point I want to give you. you. In terms of being getting guidance in the storm, is give me that first one. It says, win the battle for wisdom. Win the battle for wisdom, because it's a battle. Wisdom is not just the accumulation of knowledge. Amen? We've got plenty of examples today where you can go to school forever and ever. You could become a professional student and still not know nothing, not know anything. <laughs> Amen? So here's what I want to tell you. And again, this is, this is maybe a sense of, uh, I don't want to toot the horn as making it so prophetic, but I am saying that I have noticed in this past year one of the things that stands out to me is that we have the, the harmlessness of doves part pretty good. But we don't have the wariness of serpents part very good. And I can tell you that in all the places I go, it's not just the world that's divided, the church itself is divided. And, and, and you know, when I was a younger preacher, when a younger pastor... We used to tell people, look, if what's going to keep you out of church is if little Johnny is going to get a cold every Wednesday night, little Johnny, and you're not going to come to church because Johnny has a cold, I can assure you, I can prophesy to you that Johnny is going to get a cold every Wednesday. I said, because 
Reality is an enemy likes to, he doesn't have to work on new territory if he, he could keep on using the same tactic over and over again. And I used to tell, of course, this, I was younger, and I used to tell the church, I said, a lot of times we're thinking we're fighting against heaven. We're fighting against the heavens, the swarm of demons. And I said, usually those assignments are left down to some little pudgy kind of cherub-like demon you know, you, you, you think you're fighting some big monster, and really what you got is like a, a two-year-old demon that's hitting you with a stick. And I said, let's fight bigger battles. Let's, let's encounter things that are not because we're looking for those fights, but let's stop retreating at the first sign of danger. Hear me. There's a sense of wisdom, and what I'm telling you is we've grown pretty well accustomed to the comfort level that with, with which we live. And so in the middle of this extreme craziness that we've lived in 2020 and still going on in 2021, because there is another secret you've discovered during this time, is that your elected officials are not smarter than you. In fact, they've proved, they've proved to you that they're, they, they need to go back to school. And it just might be common sense. I mean, really, if you can't eat inside, but you can eat outside on an inside. I'm just telling you, my five-year-old grandson can figure there's something wrong here. Right? Somehow we can't do that. So, so here's what I want to tell you in light of that. In other words... We're not picking fights and trying to find bigger battles, but what I'm saying is our tendency to develop strength is based on the nature of the, of the battles we're facing. And while we're facing these kind of craziness times, what I'm saying to you is a third of the world are, lo are, are larger. They've been battling crisis every day since the time they woke up. And now you just threw in the pandemic. To them, it's not, their crisis has always been a crisis. They're not throwing stones at their neighbors because they have a mask or don't have a mask. They're trying to get food every morning. So when I tell you that, I'm simply saying that if you go with a gospel to the places of, 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 of need and you're telling them about the woes of your life because you can't eat at Burger King or you have to wear a mask and I don't want to go to church because I don't want to get scared, I'm telling you, you're not, you're not battling significant enemies there's other people that are doing it. When we talk about winning the battle for wisdom, here's what I'm saying deep down inside. It doesn't matter what you feel, although feelings may help identify causes, if any. However, feelings, Christian, are not always the omen of, something in, of some impending danger. There are some people in the church that have such rapid confidence in what they feel and what they sense. And I'm here to tell you, I've lived a while, and I've lived a while in ministry, and I don't have that level of confidence. I'm just going to be straight with you. You know why? Because I know my feelings can lie to me. I know my emotions can get the best of me. And I live with temperance of understanding of that. There's Jimmy. Bam. The old one came up just now. And so what happens is there are a lot of Christians, they live in, the, in a new lexicon of language and everything is turned into this mystical, but we are not winning the battle for wisdom. We're not winning the battle to make wise decisions in times of crisis. This is a general word. This isn't for you. This is for other people. You can pass this on. 
When you go to the doctor, again, here's what we learn as you get older, right? When you go to the doctor, sometimes you end up at the doctor because you're feeling something, and so they have to examine, he or she has to examine your feelings as to what it portends. But a lot of times they go beyond that because they discover sometimes you can't even articulate your feelings right, so they, you know, they can't just go by that. So that's a starter. But most of us know, those of us that cross the threshold past 40 and then 50, you know that you have to go, or if, unless you're an athlete, you're a younger athlete, you have to go to the doctor to get examinations, right? You have to get physicals. And the older you get, they get more strange, these physicals. <laughs> they get a little too handsy, amen? So you go through this, and so I remember my doctor who's been my doctor a long time, <laughs> He's young. He knows what I do for a living. He doesn't subscribe to my faith, but he, he's, he's, he, he loves me, in, in, I guess, in, from a doctor's standpoint, and so he takes care of me. And so he'll, he'll go. I remember having a major upheaval change in terms of my dynamics, and my numbers went down. My blood work came back, and he was impressed. He was impressed. And so he, I, he, I said to him, so tell me how long, when are you going to take me off all these meds? He goes, and he doesn't even bat an eye, just looks down. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, from your perspective, you want to get off the meds, not from my perspective. See, Jimmy, I'm working for you to live a long life and enjoy your, 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 your grandkids. So um, the numbers don't lie. I said, but I feel good. He goes, I, that's good. I'm glad you feel good, but the numbers don't lie. Yeah. So he's looking at data. I'm going by feelings, and what I'm telling you is that's the average that's the average saying today. We go up and down by the basis of our feelings. Yeah. Even right now, statistically speaking, there are some of you that are ticked off in this building. Not at me, I hope. I say statistically because in numbers, it, it, it reads that way. There are people that are upset. And, and a lot of times, they make their decisions based on those feelings. They cut off. They cut in. They do all kinds of things based on that. Are you hearing me? We got to win that battle. The Lord wants to reshape you. He wants to help you function better. He wants you to develop better synergy. Synergy is, is, is a word they started using back, I think, back in the 80s and the 90s. It talks about instead of in, 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 the, in the complexity of humans working together, instead of one plus one equaling two, they, they felt like synergy was exponential, that one plus one could equal hundreds. Amen. Because you put the massive effort of people together. Why doesn't the church get that? Why don't we get that? In other words, the church is not just about a place where you comfort yourself at the expense of everybody else's sacrifice, but it's where you comfort yourself at the expense of other sacrifice coupled with the donation of your sacrifice, and it makes for an exponential growth in everybody that surrounds us. This is, this, is, this is what that's all about. I'm thinking, do you, know, do you know how many meetings I've been into? I've been in leaders' meetings, preachers' meetings, where they get up in a conference and they dedicate 45 minutes to take up the offering. I am deeply offended and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pumped by that. I'm saying we ought to be able to say you had me at hello. You had me at Hello. Take up the doggone offering already and stop the song, the, to the, the, the pony dance going on, the, the dog and pony dance. You're ratcheting up preachers. Don't they know the scripture? 
I'm looking around. I used to have my, my elders and my, we'd go to these conferences and my wife would sit next to me. I had a couple other elders and they knew what touches my buttons is to go into a major conference and have a 45 minute offering, have my check in my hand and everything that they kept saying, I was pulling my check back. Now, I'm a, I am, I'm a believer in sewing, and my, 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 my friends, my, my co-partners in ministry, they would just like, they would like look down the aisle like wanting to poke more fun, like, you okay down there? Because they knew, they knew what my buttons were. And then my wife next to me putting her hand, putting her hand. I remember John Maxwell was going to speak one night, and she kept saying to me, John's worth it. It wasn't John's conference. He was a speaker. She goes, John's worth it. John's worth it. John's worth it. And, and so, <laughs> you know why? Because we've grown accustomed to being ratcheted up. What if I just told you you just got to get smarter here? We shouldn't. I see this offering this morning. It's like one second, Steve talks about a need, and everybody starts getting up and giving. And I thought, I hope that's on video, because I know some cheap churches. <laughs> that's what family does. That's what family, may I fight, my, my, my siblings, we have arguments, we have things like that, but we got blood. When they're in need, they know who's coming. We're coming. We're there for that. The Lord wants to reshape you. We need better insight in working to move forward rather than taking steps backwards because of our feelings. Stop going backwards. I know some of you are weary. Somebody said it tonight. Was it Tammy? Tammy, stop. I'm weary. She knows. She speaks to all of our feelings, right? Because it's true. Some of us are weary. I was sitting there going, I kind of want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Because we are. We get exhausted. And, and that, that's real because it's speaking to our reality. But, but... The end, of the, the end of the story was God is saying, I, I'm going to work through, I am going to overwhelm you. That's our expectation. That's our hope. Amen? We need wisdom. We need the wisdom to make better choices. You can have all the material at your expense, but, I mean at your, at your disposal, but you need to stop fighting knee-jerk reactions to take things backward when you encounter the new. That should be up there. Stop fighting. Fight knee-jerk reactions to take things backward when you encounter the new. You know what a knee-jerk reaction, right? It's our, natural, it's our natural experience. When someone or something is forcing us to take new action, we're still trying to grapple with what we've known. That's what wisdom is. Don't pay attention and keep pressing forward. There's a new thing happening, and you need to do that. And it doesn't matter... It doesn't matter with all the all the, the tendons and people like I don't know I don't know if I want it I don't want it. if I want the new it's like oh you you want the new just take it easy, amen, yeah. huh? Amen. It's kind of like the kids when they're at the table going I don't I don't want to eat that yeah yeah this this is not McDonald's this isn't Burger King have it your way you're eating it <laughs> you're gonna eat it dad's eating it mom's eating everybody's eating it amen. Stop doing it. Look at Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counsel, there is victory. You're in good place. Hallelujah. So we need wisdom. 
And wisdom is, in many cases, it's a collective. In other words, it's not just, you're not left to yourself because you can be deceived, but your senses are trained so that when you are by yourself, your instinct automatically takes over in the sense that God has trained you to take on greater battles. Come on now. Amen. Here's the second one. Don't convert the solution that God gives you into an idol. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said that's a long one. This is a tough one. Wait to, I want you to put that scripture up. 2 Kings 18, 1 through 6. Now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. On and on. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, in accordance with everything that his father David had done, he removed the high places and smashed the memorial stones to pieces and cut down the Asherah. And then here's the, here's the key. He also crushed to pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the son of Israel had been burning incense to it and was called Nehushtan, a thing of bronze, right? He trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, and after him, there was no one like him among the kings of Judah, nor among those who came before him, for he clung to the Lord. He did not desist from following him, and he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, here's, here's what happens in all of these scenarios. Our capacity to locate a deliverance or a deliverer must never include replacing the actual deliverer with a, with a past solution. Now, what's interesting about this passage is uh, Zechariah goes into the temple. He starts cleaning it out. It's a, it's a, it's a new unearthing. And, if, and let me say something. When God is doing something new, I know everybody likes, oh, the God, this is a revival coming. He cleans out all the old. Yeah. So I want you to be ready for that. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. So what, people like to say comments, and a lot of times I listen to the language, and I'm saying, yeah, don't, don't do that just yet, Lord. I'm asking, please. You know, because there's timing that we need. And so what I want you to realize about this passage is when he cleans out the temple, he finds this little article, this bronze serpent called Nehushtan that they've named it. They're still burning incense to it. And Nehushtan comes back from Exodus, I'm sorry, Numbers 21, several hundreds of years before. And it's based on a, scenario, on a scene where the children of Israel, on their multiple levels of complaint, which they're just like us, they were complaining again. And the, in this particular judgment, God sends fiery serpents to bite them, and many were dying. So the children, I'm giving you the, power, the, 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 the short version, the children of Israel cry out to Moses and say, tell them to stop, we repent, we shouldn't have complained. Now they had plenty of examples what their complaint had done for them before. I mean, this is like, talk about the same chapter. I'm like, come on, don't you ever read, don't you get past chapter 10? That's what happened to the children of Israel. It's like the cycle would keep repeating itself. Listen to me. Don't let it be repeating itself in you. This is what we need to look at. And so here's what they do. God, he, Moses cries out to God on their behalf, and their request was that God would take away the serpents. God does not do that, though. And that's another message. He doesn't do that. He tells Moses, construct 
a pole and put a serpent on it. And when they get bit, they will look at the serpent and they will be instantly taken care of. Now, how many of you have encountered fire, little fiery serpents biting you lately? Can you imagine if we still had that pole? That's what they did several hundred years later. In other words, the solution God gave them at that time, and there's a lot of prophetic reference to that, to that actual pole, because Jesus uses it later as a reference to him. But that, that reference, in other words, they took the solution God gave them, and they immediately constructed an idol that they put in with all the other stuff they were supposed to be doing, and they were still burning incense to it hundreds of years later. It's kind of like that person you meet at work that you ask them, like, what do you believe? Like, who do you believe in? I, I take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I trust, I, I just cover all the bases just in case one of them is right. What we've discovered sometimes, again, a word in season is what the pandemic proved is that, and this is what I've, I've admonished a lot of pastoral leaders, is that our discipleship metrics, and we'll get to that in a minute, have to be better because what we discovered is that our people were not as strong internally as we thought they were. In fact, I would argue that not many leaders were as strong internally as they thought they were. They were still buying into what worked last time and all of a sudden they found themselves in a spot where it wasn't working and they were still literally burning incense. And so what did they do? They retrieved their feelings again and they locked down. We have people of faith who are still locked down even even with vaccines, with masks, with social distancing. I mean, pretty soon they're going to tell us we have to stand on one leg and that'll work and you'll be doing that. Now, two things can be true at the same time. Look at me. There is a virus that's deadly. It's a killer. I can assure you, we've gone through it. It's a, it's a killer. And the other thing is, there is a God who's still alive. Amen. How do we balance the two? We can do everything we can in our conscious effort, but God never trades your internal stability on any access to any problem that exists before. And so what happens to most, a lot of believers is we trust in the things that took us out before so much so that we haven't we inadvertently created idols to them. And so we say things like, well, that's not the way we used to do it. And this is the way we used to do it. And, you know, uh, you know we, used to do the, we used to do the Davidic two-step, and that worked, and Jesus came down on the meeting. And so now we just got to keep doing the prophetic, the, the, the prophetic two-step. And you discover, first of all, you don't dance as good as you used to, and that doesn't work. Our capacity to locate deliverance must not include replacing the deliverer with a previous solution. I'm not mocking our problems. I have them. What I am saying to you, I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to allow my feelings to dictate and my directives of the past to dictate me in the season that I'm in right now. And you know why? Because I have people who depend on me. Now, I may, I may lament, nobody watch me, nobody, nobody follow me. Don't. Dad, what are you doing? That's the next statement that comes out. 
You could wake up in the morning and say, I just wish it all would go away. And you wake up, you look out the window, and it doesn't go away. And so what I'm saying to you, how can we possibly, and, and this, is not, this is not projecting condemnation. This is, this is projecting doing inventory of our heart. What have you done to shore up the revelation of the Christ in you lately? What have you done to shore up of what the Lord means to you, live or die, infected or non-infected, working or non-working? What is Jesus doing on the inside of your heart? What are we communicating to generations after us when we have justified our anger? We have justified to them our our duplicity in worshiping God. We've justified to them that there are so many other things that we can disconnect from God for because it's okay. Well, this is what it bought us now. Now it's what it bought us for. We have people that are absolutely terrified. A crisis will put you in conflict with your theology, and you must examine that theology. What is it that you believe on the inside of your heart? Now, I, I can tell you like any other person, any other human, you go through ebbs and flows. You feel super hot. And other times you feel super cold. But Jesus is always constant. He's not turning up the heat. He's not turning down the cold. You know what it is? It's a reflection of your own heart. And so you do examination. And when I see that I am troubled to the point of fear where it paralyzes me, that's not a sign that there's impending danger outside. That's a sign there's impending danger on the inside, and I got to root it out. That's why Job, in all of his weakness and all of his, in all of his disaster, he kept saying, he was, he was saying he would not curse God. He will not do it. He would not do it. Even if he slays me, I will not. That's conviction. That's not preference. That's not if it feels good. That's not if 98% of the germs are gone. That's not if everybody does. I was in a grocery store the other day, and you know, I, you know, I, I have to breathe a lot through my mouth. As you can tell, if you've heard me long, you can see my voice. I can't sing as well anymore. I can't. And so my point is, I have to do that. For, so you can imagine with a mask. So I'm in, in Florida, we're a little bit looser. But there are certain places you gotta, you gotta pay attention, right? But you have to wear a mask to go in. And so I was in a Target store and I had pulled the mask right below my nose so that I could breathe a little bit more freer. And some guy older than me decided he was gonna lecture the wrong dude. And so he says to me while I'm looking for, I'm in the, I'm in the pharmacy area, I'm looking for, he says, you know, it doesn't work if it's not over your nose. And so I had a suppressed Jimmy number one and remind myself of Jimmy number two, I looked at him and I said, thanks for the tip. And I walked away. So here's what I'm saying to you. When did we get such chutzpah and such boldness to, to talk to a stranger about putting, I'm thinking to myself, dude, do you know who you're messing with? Do you know? Do you know that there is a barbarian living inside that I'm constantly crushing down? It's like, do you know that? Do you know when somebody pushes up their car next to me and is throwing down, I'm like, there's a part of me goes, okay, okay, okay. Do you know who you're messing with? And the Lord speaks to me. I know who I'm messing with. 
So we, don't we have to deal with that? But I thought to myself, this is what's happened even in the church. That's not God. This is God. This is God. I'm like, what do you know, man? What do you know? What do you know? I had a young guy I'm discipling. He says to me the other day, I'm having breakfast with him as we're leaving. He goes, you know, this church that we're going to, and I know the church, he says, you know, their lighting is a little hot, you know, during, I mean, it's a little high during worship, and I'm bringing friends. He's a, and he's a novice. He's, he's got ministry pedigree, so I'm discipling him, and he's a good, he's a good, boy, he's a good son in, 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 in the Lord. And so he's talking to me, and he's learned now that I, I'm not a poker player, so my face shows my reaction. So as we're leaving breakfast, he says to me, I'm just thinking I'm going to bring it up to the pastor, you know, about the lighting and stuff like that. And I look at him, and my face says, he, he looks at me, and he goes, no? I looked at him and said, dude, you're not going to a disco. You're not going to a disco. It's cool if you have lights low, cool if you have lights on. Just do your worship. You want to, be, you want to grow up to be a man of worship? Then are, are you really going to talk to the pastor about the lights? Let me, let me first advise you, wouldn't be a good idea. You're going to get shot down. Okay. That's not where you're at right now. And so there's a lot of people in the world. Now, he listened, thank God. He looked at me and he laughed. And I said, so here's my response, because I know the millennials like to say, okay, boomer, because I'm a boomer generation. Okay, boomer. This is why I said, you know, dude, that is so, he says, I invited a guest and, you know, he's used to worship. And he just says, you know, the lights are really, really high here. We can't really get our worship on. I said, listen, tell your guest that if he wants to go to a bar, he can go in there and worship. If he wants to come to church, he goes with the lights or the windows or whatever they have because you're not there to get acclimated to your own comfort zone. If you have worship in, you get it on. Amen? So I said to him, that's so millennial. And he, I said, that's so millennial. It's like, really? You're gonna, you got 20 million things I'm discipling you on and you're worried about the heat of the lamps are the lights during worship because you want to you wanna get really, you want to get in with Jesus in the dark. I mean, the church is only this. I mean, it's from here to the wall. I mean, it's not that big. Even if, even if you shine your phone, it's going to light the whole place up. So I said to him, when I said that, he yells back, I am a millennial. I said, then get over it. But in, in all kidding aside, what I loved about it is his response. He understood that my response was like, you know what? I, you know, I think it might be cool. And it doesn't matter to me, though, but that's not your biggest problem. You know, you have a lot of people in church that have discovered in the midst of pandemic, there's bigger problems than the ones you've been facing before. And you've taken it out on friends and family in the church. Some of you are separate. You can't even say hello to one another. I'm not saying here. This is for people on camera. But... But I'm saying, I don't know, maybe. Number three, you need to harvest in the time of fear. Don't retreat. Harvest in the time of fear. It's not the time to get lost in the voices. I saw an opportunity this last year. Everything shut down. Do you know that my workload increased in the middle of the pandemic? I thought to myself, I'm, I'm dead. I'm thinking right now, everything has shut down. Guess what? Jimmy's going to get forgotten. No. In the, everybody got in their cave and they started realizing we need help. And so I realized that in the midst of pandemic, my advice was 
We need to leverage the crisis. Now, let me explain that. That didn't mean we got better at all our social media platforms. It doesn't, if our takeaway was that, that we got better video equipment, I'm saying you missed it. What we need to leverage is there's a, we're in the middle of a harvest because people are terrified, they're traumatized, they're in debt, they're broken, they don't have anywhere else to go, and the children of God who they're looking to manifest in these times of crisis are also hiding in the same caves. And I'm saying to you, let's come out and let's minister life and minister hope because people are desperate for it. There's a harvest coming, a legitimate harvest because people are broken and they need us. Yes? Okay. Number four. By the way, along those lines, that focus, focus has been lost to many during this time because it's given way to fear. And don't receive that as condemnation. It's, again, it's an examination. I am, I, am, I am always tempted to take the easy road out. You're not alone. How many of you like discomfort, by the way? I don't. How many of you like pain? I don't. I'm like, sometimes people hear preachers say this, and they think, like, we're speaking because we're super spiritual. Dude, I don't listen to those people either. So, I'm, you know, I'm not admonishing you do it either. I'm not that guy. I have to fight the same battles you do. But I choose to believe God can use us during this time, and I don't want to be terrified. All right, here's the uh, fourth one. Don't invent or reinvent a new theology. (laughs) This is what happens in times of storms. And that means a theology that's based on the feels or intent or hard times or crisis or hurts because it has a tendency to redesign God and even what his word says. That is the crisis that we're facing for the generations that follow us, is that in many cases when you, especially when you deal with, with a, a, a generation that in some levels may are instantly attracted to causes and a little bit more sensitive to the needs of fellow man, that's a good thing. But what happens is they look back with disdain at what they consider the traditional bastions of supposed truth, and they, because they find some distancing in there, they've created a new theology where everything actually fits in. And so now they've constructed a new idol that fits all of their, all their precursors for involvement. And so the, everything goes. How many, listen, this is not to take shots, but we are in a place right now where our world is racked with such division that, that when you talk about sexual identification, it's no longer male and female. We're now, they're now telling us which pronouns to use. When do you think that's going to make its incursion into the church? So here's a, here's a forewarning to you. We're no longer in the bubble. We're no longer in Christian Western world. The, Christian, the West is no longer Christian. I, hope to, I don't want to break your bubble. We always think that we're, even with President Trump, we thought we made some strides. And there was a sense of, but all it was was a reprieve. Because at the end of the day, stolen or not stolen, there was a ton of people that voted for this foolishness. And they're your neighbors. And my point is, we have depended so much on somebody giving us a lift. Back in the 80s when I got saved, when, a, when an entertainer would get saved, it's like the church would rejoice. Now, we, now we're cooking. B.J. Thomas is saved. 
He's going to sing for Jesus, only to discover B.J. Thomas was going broke singing for Jesus. And then the church wasn't so, for, wasn't so easy on them because they discovered they weren't so easily discipled. It wasn't an issue of, of, of conviction. It was an issue of preference. We're always looking for someone to give us an assist. Here's my news to you. We have a God who loves you and loves the people of your community and the cities that surround you. And he will love the world no matter what the world does. And he has sent us as ambassadors representing him, not just our own interest. If they hate him, they will hate you also. So I'm not asking you to make yourself detestable in their sight. That's not a winning strategy. But I am also saying to you, if you think that the world is going to turn around and think it's chic, what you believe, I'm telling you it's not happening. Stop doing that. And start worshiping and serving the God and protecting your kids. Protecting your kids. I used to utter, utterly conviction. I had a church that was pastoring. I had kids that were homeschooled, Christian schooled, public schooled. And we, all of our parents, we, we taught them to have severe conviction. And we never, we never drew the line for any of them. In other words, everyone would make a choice based on conviction. My kids were raised in a very good Christian school, but it was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I watched, observed, but I had, I took away some of the battles that they had to face. That was then, and this is now. I have a daughter who teaches in the public school system, has taught and she will tell you for her own children, they're never going back in this crisis because they cannot afford for their kids to be leached on by a system, not teachers, by a system that will not allow them to, to ever say anything of common sense or even of religious or anything. It's not a question of preaching the gospel. It's about you having to acquiesce and do that system. So I'm telling you is, in utter conviction as a leader, I, I don't reject anybody that does what they have to do because this is a tough times. But I can no longer support the secular world public school system because it's in disarray. And I'm not submitting my kids to it. Oh, but Jim, Pastor Jim, what are you talking about? It's going to cost me. It'll cost me, but I'm not doing it. So where's the church then? The church means we need to be better disciples about helping our families, helping our, helping the, 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 the schools that are around. We need to develop a system and a strategy that is not going to make us into a cocoon, but is going to make us into a force that's going to bring revival and awakening to the cities in which we live. Wow. It got really quiet. Did the public school thing touch a nerve? <laughs> Two tile no. We'll hope that. Amen. So don't invent a new theology because that's what happens. We start recreating God say, well, he's okay with that. He's all right with that. Yeah. Listen, I was a sinner saved by grace. And when I got saved, I discovered I could still sin. <laughs> In other words, I saw there wasn't an invisible barrier that precluded me from sinning. And I had to make a determination. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you sinned lately? We discover there's a tension that we live with, right? My point is, the theology, I'm not going to create a new one to just appease my soul. My soul needs deliverance. But God's grace covers me. He covers our friends. He's not asking you to become a, a community of judgmentalism. 
He's asking you to be a community of conviction that can actually help people. And instead of striking, making people come become perfect before they come through the door is an anathema, anathema to God. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't work for you. Why would it work for anybody else? I am imperfect now as I stand before you. I am. I know. Are you in, tell your neighbor, you're imperfect. Last one, we'll close. Guidance in the storm. The fifth point is commit to structural discipleship. A renewal on believing the same things and speaking the same things, etc. Look at this passage, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 11. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that you have, that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. And then he goes on to say, he qualifies, he says, I've been informed concerning you, my brothers and sisters, by Chloe's people, Chloe people were ratting them out, that there are quarrels among you. I want you to look at that passage. Because we have to instruct, and this is important for the, our next generation because you are the, you, you are the future of, our, of, of the house. What happens is the world tells you that if you go to, if you're part of a church community, if you're part of this, this faith tradition, that when you come through the doors, you check your brains at the door. Because these people strictly believe fantasies and fairy tales. Do you believe that? So the idea is that if you, if you swallow into this, that somehow you're, not, you're keeping your coat of protection on that says, I don't, I'm going to cherry pick. I like that, don't like that. I agree with that. And so it's created a whole new, I wish I had more time to share that. It's created a whole new division inside the house of the Lord. Because instead of us, what we've done is we've minimized the effort to actually agree and have a simple and accurate worldview, a, an, an accurate view of God's grace, an accurate view of God's justice, an accurate uh, view of God's mercy, that it becomes part of all of us where we're all agreeing on the same thing. Now, when you say that out there and sometimes in here, people think, what, we're all going to be robots? What I'm saying to you is harmony and anointing comes in the, in the quest, when it comes in the heels of the environment of unity. And the church has been battered by disunity. Every church has been battered by disunity because people cherry pick because they don't want to change their lives and the light of Christ's gospel doesn't come in because we shelter ourselves from the truth. And that's why, while you might be well in acceptance that adultery is wrong or homosexuality is wrong, what you're not so ardent about is the fact that the root of bitterness is not wrong or that your capacity to lash out at your own brethren is not wrong because that has not become unbecoming in your own heart. And I'm saying to you, if you want guidance in the storm, we're going to have to get wrapped around a better structural discipleship from the ground up and constantly repeated in the church because I'm giving you insight and telling you the church is woefully inadequate. We don't all have the same theology anymore. We've determined we're going to believe whatever we believe. And, you know, hey, if I agree with you, it's cool. But Paul tells us 
There should be no divisions among us. What is he talking about? It means we all got to wear brown? No. It just simply means that we, we on, the, on those things that we should major on, we should be in lockstep agreement with. Well, what, what, if, what if we fail? Then we love each other. We love each other back, back into collaboration, back into unity, back into hope. In other words, when there's not just a literal fire, but there's a fire that's consuming a family, we surround them not just with platitudes, but because we're in total agreement because we understand the secret of what it means to be the body of Christ. What's our worldview? What's our conviction? What are we teaching and constructing with confidence? Uh, listen, this 2020 has been a watershed moment for the church. Because a lot of them have discovered that when the building was empty, the smoke machines were not working anymore. That the cool and flashing lights weren't going to do it. Now, I'm not writing them out. I'm not taking shots. I used to have the opinion, look, whatever it takes, man, if we can get people saved, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. But then they get saved, and what did we do? There was a conversation just existed recently with, with my wife and her job, and uh, Gal tells her, she's not religious, but she knows that my wife knows the Lord, or serve, serves the Lord. She doesn't know what that means. So she engages her in a conversation. And she says, you know, I was invited to such and such a church. It's a church well-known in our area. And she says, I was, I was invited there. And I said, I really liked it. I really liked it. I liked the feeling of it. I said, you know why? She goes, well, why did you do that? My wife, I said, why did you do that? And the answer was, now listen, the answer was, well, because they don't push Jesus down your throat. And, you, you know, they don't, you know, in other words, I hardly heard him mentioned. Now. That statement is not a powerful reflection of that church. I want to be clear. But it is the takeaway from an unbeliever who went to a church and didn't get the real message. That ought to bother you. And it ought to bother me. And so that's, that's why I said we need... We need to shape up and we need to take advantage of this trial and this situation we're in. Stand with me. I want to pray with you. I want you to do some inventory right now. Some of you have served the Lord a long time. And my challenge to you is, in all things, certainly be flexible. But in all things, still press in because we need you. We need, we need us to create, to create the avenue for people to come into a place of safety, to go back into a place of hostility. I know deep down in your heart, and I don't look, I'm not prophesying that that'll never get fixed. I'm simply saying to you, I think we're, we're putting our efforts in, in terms of our heart deposit in the wrong place. Most of us would like the circumstances around us to change so that it would kind of help us along our ability to serve God. And I'm simply telling you that our, our past, in terms of the people that have, that our generations before us that have served God, have never ever enjoyed that total, that total luxury 
of serving God and everyone just simply loving you for it. Conviction is precious and conviction is not condemnation. So if your religious underpinnings lead you to constantly condemn yourself and condemn others, then you know you're off because Jesus tells you you're off. But, but if, you're, if the underpinnings of what you've learned have not led you to build sincere, devoted convictions about who you are in Christ first, then you will always, you'll always create different silos where you can run into to protect yourself from the watchful eye of people who love you and want to confront you. Can you handle it in the days ahead? Can you handle it? If someone comes, if a leader helps you and is trying to guide you and says, you know, this, this is an area of your heart that you need to tenderize, what's your answer to that? Can you, can you simply say to yourself, Lord, I am hungry, I am thirsty, I am desperate to hear from you. And sometimes he's speaking and we're not listening because it's not coming in the wavelength that we've been accustomed to. It's funny, the same people that, that deny God's ability to speak to their heart, they're still as bitter as they always were. They're still as angry as they always are. They're so ruthless. Like I said, I have lived a while and I have met the most beautiful, the most ardent people. I'm thinking to myself, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. What, who am I that God would have sent me to try? I meet people, whether it was in, 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 in Kenya, whether it was in France, or whether it was in my neighborhood, people who were served in the church, that in their own eyesight, they were nominal, they were normal, they were just nothing, average. But God showed them, I saw God's grace in them, and it had nothing to do with what they possessed. And I've met those people and I thought to myself, who am I? When I have to go home and look in the mirror and I realize you think you know what's in my heart, you don't. There are things, there are all compelling arguments that we have had to fight, everyone has to fight in this life that we're following after Christ. And yet I've met in the same church the most ruthless people. As a pastor, I used to keep, I did, this is no joke, I had a file, I was a hero. People love me, send me cards. Pastor, you're this, oh my God, you're, you're the godsend. And I had a file right next to it, with just as thick. That when people, when you have, when you had fulfilled whatever need they had, and then the title turned, the title, the, the switch turned on you, they, they, boy, if they were non-communicators before, they got really good in those cards they sent me. I would have said, dude, at least put it, maybe put it on a black, a, 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 a sheet of paper that's filled with blood and stuff because they put it in a nice card. You open it thinking you're gonna get blessed and what you got was bam, bam. I'm thinking, I come out of reading that and I'm thought, God, I am the scum of the earth. I am awful, ruthless stuff. Asking for, for things that you wouldn't ask for people you hate. And I'm saying, how could that paradox exist in the family of God? And please don't say it's because they're not Christians. Mm -mm. Yeah. They are. We got baggage, don't we? So I'm saying to you today, maybe in this nice snowy January, you might make a discovery. 
and say to yourself, if you're 85 or if you're 25, I am open, Lord. Speak to me. Speak to my heart. Because we got things to, I know some of you are struggling. Some of you are, are, are hurting. I get it. Don't give up on the only fountain of strength that has never wavered, and that's the Lord himself. Open your hands in a posture of acceptance from him, and let's pray. Lord, I pray for these precious people who love you, care for you, care for the things that belong to you. And I'm asking you, Lord, do it with us. Do an awakening, even in this, even in this wonderful transition that they're going through with these amazing leaders, these amazing people that are serving the interests of the church. And I'm asking you, Lord, out of the depths of heart, because we know we can ask you, is pour out your grace. The family, this family that has lost their home, Lord, let it be a, a restoration that becomes not, it's no longer an eyesore of a burnt structure, but it is the remnants of the inter, the inter, the reaction of a church body and the life of God that has created even the goodwill among neighbors and friends. Let it be a testament, a spectacle that devises the, the ultimate warfare against the enemy. Do it to these people. I bless this church. I bless its foundations. I bless, Lord God, even the roof as it extends above because every ceiling of darkness has been broken. Use it as a bastion of strength. May God bless Praise Fellowship. Pray, uh, not just bless Russell, uh, but bless all the surrounding towns and townships. I'm asking you to do it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.